and church family. We sponsor a little seven-year-old boy in Cambodia, and we are grateful to do that and be able to help him and his family. And next weekend, um, you will have an opportunity to maybe sponsor a little boy or girl as well. So um, the scripture readings I'm going to do today um, begin in the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Look, I am sending my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. Then the Lord you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant, whom you look so eagerly, is surely coming, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But who will be able to endure it when he comes? Who will be able to stand and face him when he appears? For he will be like a blazing fire that refines metal, or like a strong soap that bleaches clothes. He will sit like a refiner of silver, burning away the dross. He will purify the Levites, refining them like gold and silver, so that they may once again offer acceptable sacrifices to the Lord. Then once more, the Lord will accept the offerings brought to him by the people of Judah and Jerusalem, as he did in the past. The next reading is from the Gospel, Luke, chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. It was now the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius, the Roman Empire. Pontius Pilate was governor over Judea. Herod Antipas was ruler over Galilee. His brother Philip was ruler over Arteria and Trachonitis. Licinius was ruler over Abilene. Annas and Caiaphas were the high priest. At this time, a message from God came to John, son of Zechariah, who was living in the wilderness. Then John went from place to place on both sides of the Jordan River, preaching that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. Isaiah had spoken of John when he said, He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Clear the road for him. The valleys will be filled, and the mountains and hills made level. The curves will be straightened and the rough places made smooth, and then all people will see the salvation sent from God. Amen. Thank you, Leslie. That was by far the most beautiful scripture reader we've had to date. All right. <laughs> Enough of that. And as you get your um, sermon notes out, it's uh, the back of your bulletin. It's blank. There's a pen in front of you uh, to take notes. There's going to be a lot of scriptures today, a lot of things to write down as we're in the Christmas season. So if you could get that ready, and we're going to dive into God's Word together. We are in the season of Advent. We're in the season of waiting on the Lord. Uh, We are preparing our hearts for His coming. That's what this week in the readings are all about. And if you noticed in the Scripture readings, and the rest of the readings are in your bulletin as well if you want to dive deeper, uh, all these readings are about John the Baptist. John the Baptist. Now, there's a couple of Johns in the New Testament, but John the Baptist is not John the Apostle, uh, one of Jesus' disciples. It's not that. It's John the Baptist who came before Jesus. And one of my favorite dad jokes is, what does John the Baptist 
and Winnie the Pooh have in common? The same middle name. I know, sorry. All right. I told you it was a dad joke, so... John the Baptist was actually one of the most important people in the New Testament. Uh, it is, uh, his story, his life is recorded by all four Gospels, and he is, even though in the New Testament, he's thought of as the last Old Testament prophet, because he's the last prophet to say, the Messiah is coming. And so, here's John the Baptist, one of the most important people of his time, and in fact, for most of his life, he was actually even more popular than Jesus was. For years, I've taught Life of Christ at the Bible College here, and I, I've talked about the importance of John the Baptist, and in fact, we spent a lot of time talking about John the Baptist and his role in the life of Jesus, and, and he is so important, and yet, when I went back to think about how many sermons I've actually preached on John the Baptist, I realized I've never preached on John the Baptist. And that's why I think I love this cover-to-cover -cover series, because it's walking us through scriptures that maybe I wouldn't normally choose at the Christmas season, but here's these that are chosen for us from the lectionary. And today we're going to talk about one of the most important people in the New Testament, John the Baptist. John the Baptist is somebody that you could not ignore. He was different. He was special. He didn't fit in his time, and he definitely would not have fit in our time. By the time John the Baptist arrives on the scene, God has been silent for 400 years. Between the Old Testament and the New Testament is a 400-year time period, and God had no prophetic voice. They had not heard the voice of the Lord through the prophet in 400 years, and people were so hungry to hear the word of the Lord. And then there's this rumor that there's this guy out in the wilderness, and he lives like and looks like and sounds like a prophet, and everybody goes to hear him. In Jesus' case, he traveled around and preached, but for John, he stayed in one place, and he preached, and the crowds came to him because everybody wanted to hear the voice of the Lord. John the Baptist is so important that all four writers of the Gospels begin the story of Jesus with John the Baptist. He is the foremost character in Jesus' life. John's message, though, was uncomfortable. He intended to make his listeners uneasy. He was preparing the way for Jesus. He was and is used by God to this day to prepare our hearts for the coming of Jesus. He's a prophet. He lives in the wilderness. He looks rough. And he verbally challenges anyone that comes to him to hear him preach or to be baptized by him. And so many people come that the reports of his short ministry that could be anywhere from 6 to 18 months long, he baptized 50,000 people. It didn't matter if you were a common person coming or a tax collector or a soldier or a religious leader. We see all those people coming to him and he has strong words for everybody. John is describing with apocalyptic language the coming of Jesus. And when John talks about Jesus, he doesn't look like the baby in the manger. He looks like a powerful judge that is coming at the end of time to judge all things. Matthew chapter uh, 3, 
says this, these are the words of John, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear the threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff in uncutchable fire. The picture here of Jesus is Jesus with a pitchfork, taking the chaff and throwing it into this unquenchable fire. That Jesus is powerful, that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess at his name. And this is the message of John. He's preaching it to everybody. And John's message is so single-minded. It's just one thing. It's, we see it in Matthew chapter 3 at verse 1. He says, in those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. He had a one-word message. And it's a one-word message for us today at Christmas. Repent. Repent. That was John's whole message. The blazing holiness of God. His judgment was coming. It was time to stop playing religious games. It was time to stop doing whatever you wanted to do. It was time to stop ignoring the signs of the time. You better be ready when Jesus comes. That's the message of John. Because God was coming and this new authority, this new kingdom was coming and it's, there's going to be a collision between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of this world. And you better know whose side you're on. You better get your life right. You better rethink and reorder things before Jesus comes. You better repent. So what does repentance mean? Because when I say this word repent and we think of the street corner preacher saying repent, you know, the end is near. So we think of that repentance. But what is repentance? A lot of times when we think about repentance, we think about saying we're sorry. I'm sorry. When your kids get caught, I'm, I'm sorry, sorry, sorry. But repentance isn't being sorry. Repentance is actually something much deeper. If there is one thing God hates, it's cheap repentance. We see this in the Old Testament when the prophets would come and the prophets would say, you need to repent. You need to come back to God. You, you need to get your heart right with God. And, and, and so the people of Israel, and we see this in the book of Hosea, especially they say, well, okay, well, we'll make sacrifices to God and, and we'll say we're sorry and we'll make everything all right. And in a few days it'll all be over. And, and Hosea says, no, that's not how this works. You don't just make a few sacrifices, give a few gifts. He, he says, that's what the pagans do. That's what the idol worshipers do. They just make a, a, a sacrifice to a dead God. And then we appease the gods and everything's okay. And, and God says, I don't want your sacrifices. I want your heart. That's what repentance is. Repentance isn't just saying, I'm sorry, I'll make a sacrifice. We'll, we'll make it all right, God. No. He says, I want obedience. You can make a sacrifice to a dead God. I, I want an obedience to a living God. Saul is a great example of this. King Saul, it seems like if God ever gives King Saul a direct order, he does the exact opposite. 
And what that showed us is that he didn't have a heart after God. David, who comes after him, has a heart after God. And even though David made many mistakes, he always went back to the heart of God. He always gave himself back to God. Saul, when he would get caught doing the exact opposite of what God said, he would make this sacrifice. And finally, the prophet Samuel just comes before him and says, what is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifice or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice and submission better than the offering, the fat of rams. Obedience is better than sacrifice. See, true repentance is obedience. In fact, in the New Testament Greek, the word repentance is the word metanoia, which means to turn around. We might use the word to reorient or to go in a new direction, to start fresh. It's that moment when your GPS tells you, make a U-turn, make a U-turn. You're going the wrong way, make a U-turn. That's repentance. It's no longer about you or about your world or the things of this world. It's all about Jesus. And we go his way. See, John, as famous and as popular as he was, it was never about John. John never talked about John. John only talked about Jesus. It was all about Jesus. He was always pointing to Jesus. John chapter 1, verse 27. It is he who, coming after me, is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. I'm not even worthy to bow down and touch this man's shoes. It's all about Jesus. In John chapter 3, verse 30, he must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. It's all about Jesus. John is pointing to Jesus, to the majesty of Jesus, to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's saying every knee will bow before him. He is Jesus. Get ready for his coming. Repent. Turn your life to him. In this Christmas season, let's not miss the majesty of Jesus. I'm going to read a passage from Colossians chapter 1, and you can write these verses down and read them later, but I'm going to read them for you right now, and I'm going to ask you to meditate on the words of, as it talks about the majesty of Jesus in the book of Colossians. It says, He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. In Him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him he holds all things together. He is also the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all the fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things of the earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Paul is saying Jesus has the first place in everything, all of creation, things seen and unseen, in heaven and on earth. He is Jesus. And repentance comes when we really see who Jesus is. 
when we get a picture of his majesty, his glory, when we see God for who he really is, that's when repentance comes because we're like, I need to turn and go his way. I can't do things my way anymore. I got to go his way. And let me tell you, you want revival? You want that new life in Christ? You want that revival? Revival comes when you see God for who he really is. And when you see yourself and who you are in him, that's when revival comes. When you realize what he said about you and who he is, when you put it into that package, there is repentance. There is revival. And let me tell you, we lit the candle of joy this week, but there can't be true joy without repentance. There can't be true joy without coming to God and seeing who he is and who we are in him. That's when true joy comes. There's a quote by David Green. David and his family founded Hobby Lobby, and they have billions of dollars, and they uh, put together the Bible Museum in Washington, D.C., and I love this quote I heard this week. The Bible, either believe it or throw it away. Either believe it or throw it away. Look, it's either God's way or it's our way. He's not just part of a life. This is repentance. It's saying, look, I'm not going to go my way anymore. I'm going to go God's way. And so I'm going to give you something right now. It'll be on the screen. It's just this. Live according to the word rather than according to the world. Live according to the word rather than according to the world. Do things God's way. Now, throughout Scripture in the Old Testament law, from the words of Jesus and then later the apostles' teaching, there's something that God says over and over and over again. He says this, be holy for I am holy. He's calling us to holiness. That's what John's calling us to. That's what Jesus is calling to us. This is what the Word is calling us. Be holy for I am holy. There's this call to holiness. And in this season of preparation, we feel that call, preparing our hearts to receive our King. The Bible says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So we want this holiness. But holiness is hard. Holiness is difficult. We feel the need to repent. We feel that need to turn around, to start over. But looking at the past results of our life, it doesn't look promising, does it? Because we've said, I'll change I'll stop doing this or that. You know, I'll I'll get it right this time. When we look at our past track record, we feel powerless. And the reason we feel powerless is because we are powerless. Listen to me. You can't save yourself, but God can. You can't make yourself holy, but God can. I want to tell you today that that you can't make yourself a a new creature, a new creation, but God can. See, if you're tapping into the power source of yourself to be holy, to repent, to to be more like Christ, I mean, if you're going to try to do that yourself, it's not going to work. You have to go to the source. John knew the source. It says in Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, he will baptize you with with the Holy Spirit and fire. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need God's power, God's Spirit inside of us to live the life that he called us to live, and we will not have hope or joy. We won't have anything until we repent and turn from our way to his way and say, God, I need your power in my life. 
Turn to the one who calls you, who qualifies you, who makes you holy. You don't make yourself holy by what you wear and what you do and what you say. He makes you holy because you belong to him. It is his power at work inside of you. When you get a picture of his majesty and his glory, he takes us and he shapes us and he molds us and he forms us because you are predestined to be conformed into the image of Christ and you will never do that on your own. You will do that through the power of the Holy Spirit working inside of you. Allow me to read a story to you today. The early years of the 19th century were troubled times in the German Confederation. Rumors of revelation and rioting had the federated government in panic. The chief statesman of the Confederation ordered thousands of young men drafted into the army to guard the borders and put down internal revolts. Across the countryside, young men in uniform tramped off to an unknown destiny. In one German village stood a grand old stone-walled church with an ornately, ornately carved facade, beautiful stained glass, and a stately pipe organ. The organ was famed throughout the region for its beautiful, rich tone. One day, the aged caretaker of the church was interrupted during his chores by a knock on the great oak door of the sanctuary. He opened the door to find a young man in uniform on the steps. Sir, I have a favor to ask, the young soldier began. Would you please permit me to play the organ for one hour? I'm sorry, young man, the caretaker replied. No one but our own organist is permitted to play the organ. But sir, I've heard so much about the organ of this church, and I've walked so many miles just to see it, just to play it for a single hour. The aged man paused and shook his head sadly. Please, the soldier pleaded. My commander gave me a 24-hour leave. In a few more days, we moved to another province where the fighting is expected to be heavy. This may be my last chance in my entire life to play the organ. The caretaker reluctantly nodded. He swung the door open and beckoned the soldier inside. Then he took a key from his pocket and held it out to the soldier. The organ is locked, he said. Here is the key. The soldier took the key and unlocked the ornate cabinet of the organ. Then he began to play. A billow of majestic chords rolled from the great golden pipes of the organ. The caretaker stood transfixed as the glorious music washed over him, bringing tears to his eyes. He moved to one of the pews and sat down as if entranced. Within minutes, people from the village gathered at the church doorway and peered in. Removing their hats, the villagers stepped into the sanctuary and sat down to listen. Streams of music filled the sanctuary for one hour. Then the gifted fingers of the organist struck a final chord and lifted from the keyboard. The young man closed and locked the keyboard cabinet. As he stood and turned, he was surprised to see that the church had nearly filled with parishioners who had laid aside their chores to come listen to his music. Humbly receiving their compliments, the young soldier walked down the center aisle to return the key to the caretaker. Thank you, the young man whispered. The old man rose to his feet and took the key. Thank you, he answered, grasping the soldier's gifted hands. 
Young man, that was the most beautiful music these old ears have ever heard. What is your name? My name is Felix, the soldier replied. Felix Mendelssohn. The old caretaker's eyes widened as he realized whose hands he grasped. The hands of the young man who, before he was 20 years old, had become one of the most celebrated composers on the European continent. The old man's gaze followed the young soldier as he left the church and disappeared into the village street. To think, he said, the master was here and I almost failed to give him the key. So it is with us. The master is here. God is with us. His grace envelops us. If you give him the key to your heart, he can make unimaginably beautiful music in your life. Music that will make the world stop, listen, and wonder. The master is here, and he is ready to transform us by his grace. He is ready to give us a new beginning. It is only our duty, not only our duty, but our joy to give him to the, the key to all that we are and have. They say that Felix Mendelssohn began writing organ music at the age of 11. And there he was in the midst. I love that picture. The master was here, and I almost failed to give him the key. Christmas is here. Don't miss the opportunity to give Jesus the key to your life, the key to your heart. Don't miss the master this Christmas. I want to give you two action steps today. I don't want you to leave with just a story. I want you to, to leave with something to do. And so I'm going to put those action steps on the screen. First of all, I'm going to ask you to repent. That's been our message today. That was the only message of John, to repent. And when we talk about repentance, remember, it's not about saying you're sorry. It's not about giving gifts. It's, it's not about making sacrifices. All he wants is your heart. He wants your obedience. The master is here. Give him the key to your heart. Listen, the only way you're going to find joy is through repentance. So give God the key to your life. Let me say this too about repentance because sometimes we think of repentance as saying a prayer. Sometimes at the end of service we, we say a prayer to invite Jesus into our life, to repent of our sins, to follow him. It's an important prayer. The most important decision you'll ever make is to follow Jesus. And sometimes we think that's repentance and so I've done it and I moved on. Let me tell you, repentance isn't a one-time thing. Repentance is daily saying, God, I'm following you. I'm not going the way of this world. I'm not going my own way. God, I'm going your way. If I need to make a U-turn, I make a U-turn. God, whatever I need to do, I am following you. So repent every day, every moment. Say, God, I want to be going your way. So that's the first thing we do today, this week, this season. Repent. Number two, be a light. Be a light. John was an amazing light. And as popular and famous as John was, and I mean, in our world today, that's, that's the best, right? If you can be popular and famous, that, that's the, the best the, the world thinks. But, but when it came to John, it was never about John. It was all about Jesus. And so when I think about John, I, I think about the guy running the spotlight. You know, you never see the guy running the spotlight, right? 
It's the spotlight's on the, the person up front or the person that's performing or singing. We had a spotlight on, on, at Our Lady's Tea for the singers, and, and whoever was up front, there was a spotlight. You, you never saw who's behind the spotlight. They're in the darkness. They're in the shadow. It doesn't, it doesn't matter who's behind the spotlight. It's who's in the spotlight. And so may we do that this Christmas season, shine the spotlight on Jesus. Take the light off of ourselves and shine it onto Jesus because John's preaching, everything he said, it became like this, this, this light beam that, that was put on Jesus. And let me tell you, you don't have light unless you have Jesus. And so you just, whatever he's done in your life, you just turn it right back to him. You say, Jesus, I want your power. Holy Spirit, come, baptize me. I want to be walking with the Holy Spirit. I want to hear you, Holy Spirit. I want to be full of you, full of your power. And the power isn't for you or to make you famous or to make you great. It's to just say, Jesus. That's, what the Holy, that's the Holy Spirit's whole job is just to point to Jesus. And so be the person behind the spotlight. This Christmas, shine the spotlight on Jesus. He's the reason for the season. He came for you and for me. And so we need to turn our hearts to him, to give the master the key. Would you bow your heads and your hearts with me this morning? We're going to take some moments in silence before we receive our blessing, and there's a few things we need to do at the end, so we'll just, we're not going to hurry into that. We're just going to pause and let the Holy Spirit speak to us. To receive the message of repentance today. And God isn't looking for you to say you're sorry. He's not looking for a sacrifice. He's looking for you. All he wants is a relationship with you. All he wants you to do is to turn from your way to his way. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's what John preached. Be in line with the king of heaven. Give your heart to the Lord this morning. Surrender to him right now. I'm going to give you a minute of silence just to talk to the Lord and surrender your life to give the master the key. Lord, we repent and turn towards you this morning. I'm going to give you another moment of silence with your head bowed and your eyes closed to think about being a light. To get behind the spotlight. Sometimes we want everybody to see us or everybody to like us or to, to everybody comment about us, but it's all about Jesus. It's all about lifting him high. And I want you to think about how you can be a light this Christmas season, how you can take the focus off you and put it on him. How we can get the power of the Holy Spirit to, to make Jesus famous. How you can do what Jesus would do in this world, in his name, 
And so we'll just take a moment of silence and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us how we can shine a light this Christmas. Jesus, today we respond to your word. Lord, I thank you for um, just speaking to us that, that there is a season of preparation. That there is a call to, to get our hearts and our lives right. And to not to try to do it on our own, but to lean into you and receive your power and your strength to turn from our way and go your way. And God, I pray that we would walk in repentance, not just today, but every day, that we would walk close to you, that we would be living sacrifices to a living God, that we would give you the sacrifice of obedience, following you, doing what you tell us to do, because you are the King from you and through you and to you are all things. You are majestic and glorious, beautiful and holy. And we bow to you, Jesus. We follow you. Jesus, I pray this season that we may be a light to this world. Jesus, that we would just take our call to, to do whatever you ask us to do. Holy Spirit, lead us and guide us this week. Who to listen to, who to reach out to what to do in your name. Jesus, may you be famous during this season and may every light not be shining on us or our church, but may it be shining on you, Jesus. Because you've called us to be the light of the world, but we cannot be the light without you. And so, Jesus, come and give us power to be the light and may we use it for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.